Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This week on Commons People. In the course of the next 12 months, we will, we will be looking for a new leader. How long will Theresa May survive? As the government has previously said, these are matters that the Assembly were it to be functioning, should be able to act upon. Will Northern Ireland liberalise abortion law? For Mr Speaker, the charges against him he's denied, that's a matter that will be separately dealt with. And how much trouble is John Burko in over bullying allegations? Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. This week I'm joined by Paul War, as always. Hi Paul. Hi Ned. And Rachel Wearmouth. Hi Rachel. Hello. So this week was supposed to be, again, the end of the road for Theresa May, but she survived spectacularly after giving an emotional plea to Tory MPs to back her Brexit pan last night at the 1922 committee. Not that she's necessarily safe forever. Um, Here's Nikki Morgan uh, predicting how long she'll last. Theresa May, she got your backing? Well, she has absolutely uh, for now, but I do next think October. that probably, I think we'll probably, in the course of the next 12 months, we will, we will be looking for a new leader. OK, putting yourself forward? No. So May has also now apparently set a date of mid-November when she'll have to sort of start preparing properly for a no deal. Paul, like, what preparations are now happening? What's kind of stepped up this week that we learned we didn't know last week? Well, what's new is that we learned on Tuesday that the Cabinet have now agreed they're going to have weekly updates on no-deal preparation. Until this point, it's always been sort of roughly every six weeks, maybe every a few other weeks, but it's going to be every week. Now, number 10, we're quite clear, this isn't just no-deal preparation they're going to be updated on, it's deal preparation as well. Isn't a bit so- bad that they just now are doing weekly Brexit at the Cabinet? But isn't that, isn't that quite strange? It just shows that it's dominating everything but also so there's that bit which is a weekly update um now they say they're always going to sort of step up the pace in terms of that but you might say is it the big question is is it a bluff to brussels all this Mm. or is it real is it really them being worried and admitting that actually if brussels dig in and if we dig in on northern ireland without going into the detail of it but if we dig in on northern ireland and there's no resolution then no deal is a, a credible outcome or rather a plausible outcome um so the, there's that, there's the weekly updates, but there's also, we're finding out that actually there's this idea that from mid-November, all domestic legislation could be put to one side and we could have this rolling programme of no-deal legislation. Because you do need lots and lots of bits in mm. place if you are going to leave with no-deal. And we're going to have a story up later about um, the, some of the statutory instruments that the government is actually going to have to step up in order to literally leave on the right terms. Is there enough time for MPs to re-scrutinise all of this, though? It's not too long until exit day in March, and there must be so many bits. That's it. You know, so it's it's a massive rush. It's a massive rush, and there's going to be a huge amount of legislation. It's, oh, I mean, there's even talk that actually there's so much that they're going to have to shorten the Christmas break. They all hate that. They'll <laughs> certainly have to shorten maybe the February term half-term break, so just literally to have enough time mm. to look at all this stuff. 
And I guess one of the things I've thought about is a lot of the focus will surely shift on how the EU are going to react to to all of that pressure here as well. If it's kind of, are they willing to let us leave without a deal or is there some flexibility there? I think uh, Keir Starmer, quite interestingly, on the Andrew Marshall, seemed to think that there, there was. Yeah, I think that's interesting because that you know Starmer has been in close contact with Brussels uh, without sort of looking treacherous or mm. working for the other side. Um, they've got channels of communication open quite uh, intensively, and um, I think that was significant. Certainly, no deal is not what Europe wants either. Don't mm. forget. I Do mean, you think there's a chance that it kind of gains momentum though once the kind of these proper plans start happening, legislation stuff? Does it gain a life of its own? And by the by the process of preparing, you end up becoming that that's well self-fulfilling that, prophecy exactly. is, is part of the problem i mean one the other thing that happened at cabinet is there was this really scary moment where transport secretary chris grayling um who's scary most of the time uh, actually <laughs> uh, came up with this idea that that the government in extremis in a no deal scenario if things really fell apart with for the french at the, the calais port that actually we would have to start thinking about commandeering freight ships to import <laughs> emergency supplies of, fr- of food and medicine now it all sounds a bit mad but the fact is they're actually physically getting civil servants to write down these contingency plans and even this morning in brexit questions dominic raab said any blockage at the border should be dealt with pragmatism on, on, on both sides and it can be alleviated he said we need to make sure we're in a position regardless of what the eu or the french does that we're able to weather any short-term disruption now that's key the french so they keep basically they they know that the french are ones playing hardball most in europe and so this is a threat to the french look all right if you really want to play hardball we can play hardball and so rob said actually he said not only do we want to make sure we have the money and investment in place to deal with this but we've got cooperation with business and port authorities not just in uk but in belgium and the netherlands now he was basically saying we'll move instead of we'll, we'll screw calais we'll do it all through rotterdam or mm-hmm. we'll you know or we'll or we'll go through Ostend and you just think really are you really going to do that <laughs> do you think there's also a chance of them if kind of if in doubt blame the French yeah. it's, sort of the, it's kind of the Iraq war again when you know blame, yeah. blame France for not uh, getting the resolution through because that always goes down well with the people well, do it again a, this it, time yeah it's a default Tory position don't forget blaming the French it's sort of it's, it's a default a, British position isn't it well, well it like... often can be there's a sort of sort of I don't know public schooly sort of hatred of the French from, from many many years and it's it definitely embedded in the Tory party so, what, what it also does as well is um, this continuous talk of no deal puts a lot of pressure on those Labour MPs mm. who are considering backing Mayor's deal should she should she manage to achieve mm. one this really will focus minds I think yeah and that's why it's quite canny if you've got people like Caroline Flint who this week made clear that she thought that she wasn't alone that there could be 45 MPs like her mm. who'd rather have a deal any deal than no deal then all this talk about no deal is actually quite effective. Yeah, like where are do we think on that num- number of Labour MPs that would vote for Maysdale rather than no deal? Because before it was said up to 30, do you think, and at the time actually some people said that's that's rubbish, that's rubbish, it won't be that many. Do you think actually now it's more and more likely to be? Well, you know? well I spoke to um, some people from TSSA, the union mm. this week, and Hope Not Hit this week, and uh, they seem to think the figure's somewhere between 40 and 50, wow. and they're considering doing, um, well, they are going to do some organising within those constituencies to try and get more of the Remain vote out and put pressure on the MPs, write to them, tell them that, you know, they can't back this. To vote against the deal, <laughs> yeah, sorry, with, with the vote. goal of... 
forcing a referendum or to fo- forcing for forcing of people's votes. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's it's it, that's where we are. The parliamentary arithmetic is still really, really difficult. Um, but the prime minister does have this weight of you know the inexorable logic towards look. It's only really going to be my deal or no deal, yeah. and that's. Let's talk about the Prime Minister, actually. You know, we had, again, from Sunday through the start of the week, all this talk about 48 letters. Are they in? Are they not in? Is there more? Is there less? Will she survive? She seems pretty strong position now after that meeting last night, Paul. Less? Um, You mean fewer, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, it's certainly true that last night I was like lots of hacks. I was outside that room last night and getting texts from within it. And there was a sort of genuine sort of sense that, look, let's give give her a a fair wind. Hmm. Um, And the fact that she made an emotional plea, you know, look, like this is really isn't about me, but this is really, you know, it's high stakes. I'm representing the country. I need all your support kind of thing. That kind of worked, and Amber Rudd was quite effective afterwards in sort of spinning for her. Yet again, mm. just as Amber Rudd stepped yeah. in general general election for the de- the debate that Theresa May never turned up for, you know, Amber Rudd often stepping up to the plate mm. for for the PM. And I don't think that goes unnoticed, shall we say, when it comes to leadership <laughs> stakes. So there's yeah. an interesting element there. But also, that's all true. But the Brexiteers that I've talked to and the critics who aren't even Brexiteers of the PM. Uh, who are determined to get rid of her, um, are now drawing up quite detailed wargaming plans. I mean, I will talk to one of them. And they said, look, we can do this in two and a half weeks, Hmm. a readership contest, and it will only take two days to do the vote of confidence before that. So you're roughly looking at three weeks altogether. And they've gone into such detail. They say that in the first week, we'll have a rolling series of hostings for the MPs. We'll narrow it down to two within one week. Then the two people will go out to the country and we'll have a series of national hustings, which will only last a few days. They'll have one in Scotland, Wales, three in, three in England. And they've gone into that kind of detail. And then it'll be put out to an email or a postal ballot, ballot vote, which will literally take, I think, about four days. So they've, they've wargamed it all. Now, the reason they've done that is because they say this is a key moment, the only moment which to do it, because they think negotiations have stalled with Brussels. Mm. And because they've stalled with Brussels, they think they've got this four-week, three-week gap in which to actually get rid of May, come back with a new leader who says, mm. right, we've got to, we're going to reset relations with you, Brussels. It's going to be tougher. We're going to have a free trade agreement. We're going to try and sort out something on Northern Ireland. That's it. Take it or leave it. And they think that'll be a very strong mm. position. But who <laughs> knows? The, the message in coming out of that um, cabinet uh, meeting was just also sunshine and lollipops, though, wasn't <laughs> it? It was just like... Everything is fine. Everything is awesome when you're part of a team. It just yeah. seemed a little bit too rosy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So speaking of May and how long she's been Tory leader, we'll do a quiz. Ah. I'm sure you'd be glad to hear. <laughs> um, it's about the length people have been Tory leaders. Okay. So Theresa May became Tory leader on the 11th of July, 2016. She's been Tory leader for 836 days. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you some Conservative Party leaders. I want you to tell me if they were Tory leader for longer than May has been or shorter period of time than okay. May has been. I haven't got a clever name for it because I couldn't really work one out. <laughs> but, so, for example, Ian Duncan-Smith. Ooh, that's a tough one because she's one. been there roughly two and a bit years. It's he close. was there roughly two and a bit years. I'm going to go shorter. I'm going to... That's really tough. He was mm. there from 2001 to 2003. I'm going to say narrowly less than May. Yeah, 784. So only just a little bit Ooh. less, but really, really close. Yeah. What about, and this is another really close one, 
Michael Howard. That's close again because he's 2003, 2005. I think she's been leader l- longer than Michael I think he Howard. will have been leader longer. He was leader for 761. So May, just a bit longer than him as well. Wow. So she's passed the May. Yeah. She's passed the Duncan Smith and the Howard yeah. landmarks. That's interesting. Okay. What about Neville Chamberlain? God. Shorter. So May's been shorter. Or? Sorry, Chamberlain shorter. I'm going to say Chamberlain was longer than May. Yeah, he was leader for 1,231 days. Not much longer. Between uh, May 1937 and October 1940. Um, how about Stanley Baldwin? God, you're testing us now, Ned. Yeah. I Stanley do Baldwin. not know. I think he'd be gonna... longer, longer than May. I'm going to copy off Paul. <laughs> yeah, so much longer, like 5,120 days. Yeah. So he's around forever. Okay, he was and... Cameron's role model, by the way. Yeah. There you go. And one last one. Um, Anthony Eden. Eden. Everyone's racking their brains when they're watching The Crown. <laughs> um, Anthony Eden. Less than May. Let me say less than May. I'm going to go longer than May, just to be contrary. Less. 642. Oh, yes. So not very long at all. That was uh, 21st of April 1955 until 22nd of January 1957. You're all going to say, yeah, you were alive then, Paul, aren't you? Yeah, well, you said it for us. So we yeah. don't have to. Like, if I do wasn't. It, if you do record. it yourself, then we don't have to. <laughs> for the record. So that was I'm a quiz. World Cup baby. So, you know, it's the usual high standards. And <laughs> um, um, there's actually been a lot of other non-Brexit stuff this week, surprisingly, for once, which is quite, yeah, thank quite God. interesting. This one still involves Northern Ireland, though, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, this week, um, MPs moved to try and put pressure on reforming abortion and gay marriage laws in Northern Ireland. Um, it was Stella Creasy and Conor McGinn who put down an amendment to the Northern Ireland Bill. Um, here's Creasy speaking in the Commons last night about what she was doing. Now, absolutely, as the government has previously said, these are matters that the Assembly, were it to be functioning, should be able to act upon. But as we said at the start, this bill is a recognition that that Assembly is not functioning and unlikely to be functioning soon. So what then is the human question, do women like Sarah Hewitt do? What then do people who love each other do? When their politicians fail them, then what do the public do? So, Paul, what happened and does this put any pressure on the government to actually change abortion law and gay marriage laws in Northern Ireland, or is it really kind of symbolic? Well, um, it, what was symbolic was earlier in the week it was a 10-minute mm. rule bill by D- Labour MP Diana Johnson, who wanted to decriminalise and change the law in Northern Ireland. That was a very much clearer uh, uh, legislative move, um, but it was a symbolic one. 10-minute rule bills never go anywhere. So, but it passed, but mm. it doesn't really mean anything. This, the reason this was worded differently and more vaguely was because it's actually about a piece of legislation, the Northern Ireland Bill, which is needed to try and set up as a sort of prelude to setting up the Northern Ireland Assembly and encourage the politicians there to get back to normal. So Creasy did what she's very good at. She's very clever at using parliamentary procedure and wording an amendment to get not not just the approval of the clerk. So it's got to be in order, point one. Mm. It's got to get likely to be selected by the speaker, point two. But more than that, it's got to build a sort of cross-party coalition to get it through. And on all those three counts this week, she really scored um, because she, she worded this to, to ensure that actually they're not overnight going to be in, in change mm. to an, or Northern Ireland abortion law. But what she's 
said in this specific amendment is that government officials, while the Northern Ireland Assembly is not sitting, it's Northern Ireland is being run by unelected mm. officials. And those officials should now be directed by the Secretary of State in London to take into account human rights legislation when they're dealing with abortion or same-sex marriage. So it in, in the real world, those unelected officials will be very cognizant of what the politicians are doing in Northern Ireland, particularly the DUP, mm. and won't, let's be honest, won't want to countermand them. They're unelected. But it's still sim- symbolic, but also it's in statute that now it will have to be taken into account, the fact that human rights apply not just to... Scotland, England and Wales, but they apply also to Northern Ireland. And it's a human rights issue, the idea of abortion and same-sex marriage. And that's why it was significant, because it got that into statute. And it got a lot of Tories on board, didn't it? Penny yeah. Morden and... So, I was going to say Penny, Penny Mordaunt, um, Greg Clark. Yeah. It shows like a real split at the heart of government there as well. So that's a, it's a real headache for me. And obviously she doesn't want doesn't mm. want to make the DUP any more bloody minded. Well, there's a curious thing one as well. I mean, and the speaker has announced this morning that there was something wrong with the actual, yeah. the recording, the electronic recording of the vote. Because maybe, just maybe, Gavin Williamson didn't vote for this move because he was the other cabinet minister that we learned last night had voted for the Stella Creasy amendment. Um, and I was really surprised. Gavin Williamson, yeah. the, the best friend of the DUP? Mm-hmm. Would he really Yeah, that does seem really weird. Now, but... maybe it is because it's a matter of conscience. Maybe. Mm-hmm. that's absolutely fine um, but there are other ministers as well that you know there are lots of the people you'd expect Alastair Burt there was um, there was uh, Margot James lots of junior ministers mm-hmm. or ministers of state also back this move and it shows you and Anne Milton the health minister Caroline Dernage the health minister shows you that actually there is a weight of opinion within the Tory party that says hold on a tick we know we've got this alliance with the DUP, but actually we really do believe in women's rights. We believe in gay rights and the Tory party should stand for those. Uh, and I thought it was quite symbolic that you've got cabinet ministers standing up and saying. Yeah, that. perhaps particularly ones that look into the future, not just the immediate DUP situation as well. Yeah, I mean, don't forget as well, you know, fair play to, it wasn't just Stella Creasy, it was Conor McGinn, we mm. should stress as well. And I think the fact that the two of them were doing this really helped them galvanise as much cross-party opinion as possible because they're, you know, both well-liked by different bits of the Tory mm. party. Um, but again, to be fair to Creasy, you know, this is yet another example where she's made a change. You know, loan sharks, one yeah. has gone out of business because of her yeah. loan, loan sharks campaign through legislation. She's already granted to women in Northern Ireland the chance of, of coming over to have at least uh, a free NHS abortion over here. Yeah, she amended uh, the Queen's speech, didn't she? By yeah. amending the Queen's speech. Again, another clever procedural move. And crucially, this week, the Labour Party whips and the Labour Party the leader's office turned behind this campaign in the middle of the week as well. They got in, they rode in behind it. So it's just, people might think, well, why isn't Stella Creasy in the shadow cabinet? Why isn't she actually doesn't need being, to be, does she? You know, and that's the point. She doesn't need to be. As a backbencher, she's showing that. And it, for all politics students out there, when you're doing your little, you know, your, your GCSE or A level, and your, or your, even your degree, and you're told, what can a backbencher do on their own if you're not in government? Stella Creasy is a great role model. Yeah, she's also sort of... Um rebuilding a bit of the Blairite wing of the party, isn't she? She's 
she's starting to actually take action, which is a criticism that's often thrown at that side of the party at the moment is that they're not doing anything and they don't have any ideas. Yeah. And she's saying we do have ideas and I've got a lot of them. And, and I'm doing something yeah. about them. Yeah. I and mean, what's significant here, of course, is that her interests in Northern Ireland align very, very closely with the interests of Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell, which is that they don't want Northern Ireland to be seen as separate mm. uh, in, in terms of human rights and, and, and gay rights and women's rights. So they've got an agenda there. Um, but, you know, it does help. Yeah, there was also a very another significant move this week, which was when um, the House of Commons Commission decided to accept the recommendations of the report into bullying in full. This put some pressure on John Burko um, over kind of historical complaints made against him. Um, but like we saw when this kind of started bubbling up, not everyone's against it. I mean, here's um, John McDonnell on Sky News this morning saying that it would be a cop-out to say Burko is responsible for fixing kind of all the bullying problems in Parliament. I think it's up to all of us to try and shift the responsibility from all of our shoulders onto one man, I think is a cop-out. I think we've all got to sort this out. It isn't just down to one man. I think it's the whole of Parliament, and we should all take responsibility now. You go after big business. You go after big business, and if there's bad practice at a big business organisation, you would be looking at the top man in charge and asking for him to go, and a whole cultural shift as well. The heads have to roll when serious matters happen. Does this decision put a lot of pressure on Burko to go sooner than he said he would? He said he'd stand down in June next year. Does the fact now the rules have changed mean he might be under more stress? Um, well, you you would certainly think so. But it's a, there's, a, there's a sort of strange thing going on that he seems to have quite a lot of support from Labour MPs. Um, you know, McDonald's not the first person to, mm. to come out against him. It seemed that they they believe that somehow Brexit and how um, John Burko might deal with um, the Brexit legislation going through Parliament, that that kind of trumps some of the alleged bullying that he faces. But I think, on the other hand, you've got to really look at it in a sort of take a few steps back and think all of these bullying allegations that have gone through Parliament. It's not. I mean, you know, he really has to. Yeah, and consider I, what. He, and that's what why he I wants think Jess do. Phillips was significant last weekend, where she came out and said, "Look, you know." I'm I'm as strongly in favour of John Burko as anyone else when it comes to him being a reforming speaker and being, you know, on the side of uh, diversity in Parliament and all the good things he's done. But she said she put those things to one side and said, look, actually, this is a different issue. This is about bullying and specific allegations. And, you know, it's about the reform of Parliament and the message sent out that this is a workplace that can't mm. be different from any other workplace. So that's why I think, to answer your question about, you know, will will he hang on kind of... I mean, the problem is the timing of this reform. So this week, it was really significant. The House of Commons Commission, which is basically this very secretive, um, opaque body that doesn't sit, you know, mm. its its hearings aren't sort of minuted and they aren't sort of in public, but it's run by the Speaker and senior MPs and it runs the Houses of Parliament. Um, it met this week without him being in the chair, but he was still there to decide, yeah, we do want a brand new system of grievance for, for members of staff, whether they're complaining against their, their managers or against MPs, make it much more open and to include, crucially, historical allegations mm. of bullying or, or harassment. And it's the historical bit that has previously meant that John Burko has not been investigated because that's not allowed under the current mm. rules. If, if it's an old allegation, you can't do it. But they've changed that. The question now is... How quickly can the reform come in? And it's a race against time before he goes next summer. Yeah. You know, um, I understood that, uh, I'm told that Commons leader Andrea Leadsom at one point, despite the fact that she's quite strong on a lot of this stuff, felt that it would be too soon to try and rush it all. And she was talking about some kind of six-month period in which this would 
take to come in. Within six months, he could be gone. Yeah. Um, but so there was pushback against that. So there are going to be quicker than that. There's some talk about a sort of preliminary uh, estimate of what's going to happen next before Christmas. Some of the lay members on the commission have said that. If that happens, then we could be looking in the new year when maybe, just maybe, the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards could finally say, mm. right, I'm going to look at all in allegations of historical uh, abuse. Um, and then who knows what's going to happen with John Burko. And, and to add to that pressure, I think it's like four Tory MPs have resigned from the House of Commons Commission which yeah. in, in protest. Um, so that, that adds pressure as well. I mean, it includes Maria Miller, who's... Yeah, it was this um, kind of... Commons group on like responsibility and standards. And that representation. Will, yeah, representation. Yeah. So I think it was Will Quince and Maine, is that right? Yeah. Marie Miller. They quit because Burko set it up and they kind of thought, well, we don't want to be part of this if he's... I thought also back to what Labour, Labour MPs who sort of support him saying we need him for Brexit. I think Ledson made a reasonably good point in the Commons last week, I think, when she said, why do you not think the deputy speakers are capable of, uh, of being fair? It seemed weird... No, exactly. This, I think that was quite a good point. It, it, it is strange how attached Labour MPs seem to be to, to Burko. Like they, they, it's almost like there can be no replacement for him at all. It yeah. is strange, but, you know, they're going to have to... They're, all, they're already thinking about life after Burko mm. because, you know, even if he... The latest he's going to be there is next summer. Yeah. If this is a parliament goes on to 2022 whose speaker really matters. And so that's why behind the scenes you're seeing, you know, the jockeying for position for Lindsay Hoyle supporters, mm. Chris Bryant supporters. There's various, there's women that want to run for it. Um, so, you know, don't rule out the fact that Labour behind the scenes, actually, although they say they want Burke out, are, are trying to work for who's mm. the successor. I heard that um, Alistair Comer and Michael might, con- might consider position as well, which uh-huh. would be interesting. There you go. Well, okay, I think... For one week, we're done. Join us next week. See if you've got the same speaker and the same Prime Minister. Who knows? We might. (laughs) Bye. Bye.